Good morning. Welcome to Colonial Heights Baptist Theological Academy. If everybody would get your resources out, you should have with you the Moody Handbook of Theology. Of course, the two-volume systematic theology by Lewis Berry Chafer. Theology you can count on by Tony Evans and Charles Ryrie's Basic Theology. If you could get all those resources out, we'll get started here this morning. Of course, our goal this semester will be break you up into your proper categories of whether you're Reformed, Covenant, or Dispensational Theology. We'll find out who in here is a superlapsarian, and we'll find out where you are in the gap theory. Okay, so to get started with kind of a biblical mandate this morning, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And while you're turning there, is this kind of what comes to your mind when you hear the word theology? A bunch of high-sounding words that have no relevancy with real life. The discussion and debate in the halls of academia, people who look and dress like this. And by the way, you better not have been laughing at my outfit. <laughs> it took seven years, two degrees, and more money than I'm going to share in here to be able to put on this peacock finery, okay? <laughs> but you know what? I think that's what we, say. we have a problem in the United States in that when we hear the word theology, it's something like this that comes to our mind. We think of people having absolutely irrelevant discussions in the ivory tower that have no place in real life. Folks, we need to get over that. We need to get past that view because theology, while it certainly is debated much in the halls of academia, theology is for the working man. Theology is where you live, it's where you breathe, it's where you eat. Theology is where you laugh, it's where you cry. Theology is the anchor that holds in your life. You know, theology, and just a very simple definition, theology, the word theology is made up of two Greek words, theos and logos. Very simply, it means God talk. That's what the word theology means, what we're talking about, what we're going to be looking at really almost for the rest of 2009 is how to accurately, and folks, that's a very, very key word, how to accurately grow in our ability to talk about God. Do you know that without good theology, you cannot know Christ? So you see why I'm saying if you, if you think this is what theology is, you've got a problem because theology, without it, you can't know Christ. Without good theology, you can't tell the difference between the Christian Jesus and the Mormon Jesus. As a matter of fact, Mormons today work pretty hard at kind of placing themselves as just another denomination inside of Christianity. And yet the Mormon Jesus is not the eternal Son of God. He had a beginning. He was born. And did you know that He was the brother of Satan? That is nothing like the Jesus presented to us in Scriptures. Without a good theology, you can't tell the difference between the Christian Jesus and the Islamic Jesus, where they absolutely promote Jesus Christ in the Islamic faith as a great man, as a great prophet. Again, stripping Him of his deity. Let me ask you a question. If somebody walked into your life at work, at school, anywhere, and they noticed you had a Bible in your hand for some reason, and they walked up to you and said, hey, with your Bible, can you prove to me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I think about that, folks. Your Bible, the person you follow, can you open up your Bible and prove to somebody that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Or could you prove that he even claimed to be God. 
If you watch any of that garbage on the History Channel, and folks, let me tell you something. If it's about the Bible on the History Channel, turn it off. There's nothing good that's going to come from it. It's a lie. But see, they'll get on the History Channel and tell you, well, you know, Jesus never actually claimed to be the Son of God. Can, can you refute that? You, using your very own Bible, can you take them to where Jesus actually did on multiple occasions claim to be the Son of God? I'm going to say something kind of mean here. If you can't, there's a problem. If you've been a believer for any amount of time at all, and you cannot take on these, and I'm going to throw this word out, simple questions, there's a problem. God anticipates that we know the answers to these things and that we're ready to share the answers with these things. You know, folks, we've just come through a great time of worship. I find every time of worship here at Colonial Heights to be encouraging and exciting. You know, Jesus said when we worship, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, we like that spirit part. You know, the, the energy, the, the passion, the excitement, the emotion. We like when the Holy Spirit infuses us with that. But Jesus said in spirit and truth. You see, the energy, the emotion, the passion and excitement is to be contained inside of concrete, objective truth. You see, we live in a culture today that says, you know what? Just imagine God however you want to. Close your eyes and, and however you see God, whatever makes you comfortable with God, whatever helps you get your arms around God, that's, that's, that's what's good. Folks, you know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. God is not the product of my comfort level. God is not the product of my imagination. God is not the product of me closing my eyes and thinking about who He is. God is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. He is the God who has revealed Himself in objective truth. And you and I have been given a brain, yes, that can put men on the moon and can discover uh, cures to diseases, but we've been given a brain that can plumb the depths of what God has revealed. I really do actually want to look at Hebrews chapter 6. If you did get there, if you didn't get there now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Hebrews chapter 6. Go to the end of your New Testament revelation and just start backing up to the left. You'll pass through Jude and Jane, John and Peter and James. You'll be in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It says there, Therefore, leaving the elementary, the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. Now, the writer of Hebrews here challenges us, or really, I should say, commands us to press on past the elementary things, to press on toward maturity in Christ. Now, a couple of things I notice about this statement here is, first of all, apparently the Lord has a, a body of information that he would call, that he would identify as elementary. That, that's elementary. What's it mean when we say elementary? You know, when we say that's elementary, usually we mean that's, that's simple. I mean, really simple. Sometimes we think of it as being so simple, we might even think of it as being silly. Or maybe even unimportant. 
That's not what elementary means. Elementary is often very simple, but it's usually the beginning. It's it's the door in. It's the foundation. One plus one equals two. That's elementary. That's simple. But it's not unimportant. You do have to grasp the concept of one plus one equals two before you can get on to multiplication and division and algebra and ultimately engineering. The ABCs are elementary. We have a nursery rhyme for it. That's pretty simple. But you have to grasp those ABCs before you can get on to reading and writing and comprehension. So elementary is simple. It's first things, but we do have to grasp them to move on. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, there are some elementary things. Let's grasp them. Let's get them grounded in our lives so that we can then move on, not leave them behind because they're unimportant. They're still as every bit as important as they always were. But we want to press on now. We want to build on top of those elementary things. Now, what does God call elementary? Folks, may warn you, this might be a little bit discouraging. What does God call elementary? Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on here to list six things. And these six things can really be broken up into three groups of two. He says, first of all, you know what's elementary? You know what I know you already have grounded in your life? You're ready to answer all questions dealing with this and move on. Well, first thing is repentance from dead works and faith in God. Now, those two items both have to do with what? Salvation. Those are issues, those are questions surrounding, dealing with how a person is saved. Then he talks about the laying on of hands and ritual washings. This might be a reference to baptism. It'd be a reference maybe to ordination or empowerment. These two issues both deal with the role of the church in a believer's life. And then you see that last set of two. Judgment and resurrection. What's that have to do with? The end times, the end things. Now, now these three groups of two in theology, we've got three words to represent these three groups. Soteriology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. Now, this is about the point that we go. Ecclesiology, dear God, I just want to pay my bills this week. I'm just praying I don't get laid off. I'm just trying to get my mate to be nice. I'm just trying to get my kids to obey. What in the world does ecclesiology have to do with anything? Folks, actually, these words have everything in the world to do with your entire week and all that's going to go on in it. As a matter of fact, let's back off these high-sounding words and think about some of the questions that are answered inside of these words. Is there really one way to God? You think that's an issue in our culture today? Is that an important question? Is there really one way to God? Isn't it a little bit arrogant, even bigoted, to suggest that there's only one way and and you have that way? Does Does a loving God really send people to hell? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Or how about, uh, do we need the church to know God? Do do we need the church to worship God? Does it really matter how we're baptized? Hey, what what is my body going to look like when I get resurrected? Do people really get resurrected? Is there an actual physical place that's called a hell? 
Is there actually a physical place that's that's called a, a heaven? What's it like in these places? Now, are those irrelevant, boring questions? No, I think those are very real questions that very real people are asking in a very real world. And according to God, you and I are expected to know the answers to every one of those because those are all elementary questions. We're to be able to give answers to anybody who asks. And folks, when I say answers, I don't mean can you kind of pontificate your opinion off the top of your head for a few moments. I mean, can you sit down with somebody and walk them through an intelligent, logical discussion, keyword, from Scripture? Not an opinion, not what Southern Baptists think, not what Colonial Heights Baptist thinks, but what Scripture teaches. Can you do that? Because let me say it again, if you can't, I think that's a problem. As a matter of fact, the scripture says to us in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, set apart Christ as Messiah, as Lord in your heart. And always, always, man, when you're standing there getting coffee at work and you engage in a conversation, when you're having lunch with a friend, when, when you're going out to the mailbox to get your mail and you start talking to a neighbor out there in the front yard, Always, at a moment's notice, be ready to give a reason, to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Folks, we're commanded. Now think about, think about what we just read in Hebrews. Think about what Peter says there. Now you've all been there. You've been there in school. You've been there at some seminar for work. There is an understanding where you're sitting there in the chair looking at the chalkboard and you go, okay, I get it. And, and you do, right? Now, so there's a first level where you get it. Does getting it mean you now then can go to the chalkboard and explain it to 50 people? No. No, see, that's another. That, 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 you got to up the level of understanding a little bit, don't you? There is a. I get it. And then there is a. You know what? I want to show you this. Would you start with me in John chapter 1, verse 1? See the difference? Folks, the Scripture doesn't want us over here going, I get it. It wants us over here saying, I can sit down with an individual, a couple, I can sit down with a hundred people. And I can walk through an answer on any of these things that the Scripture calls elementary. I've already got this, that's the easy stuff. Now I'm going to build on it, I'm going to dig deeper. Is this where we are? If we're not... Do you know what's being addressed here? Whether Christ is really Lord in our lives. You know what's being addressed here? Whether we really love Jesus or not. You say, love, love Jesus? No, 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 wait a minute. That, that, that doesn't mean I don't love Jesus if I'm not a super smart Christian. By the way, I'm not arguing for being a super smart Christian. I am arguing for being a student. And a studier of the way of our Lord. So, so how is it that you're saying that that my love for Jesus is being questioned if I can't answer all those questions? Folks, let me tell you uh, an area of bad theology in Christianity in America. You hear it in music. You hear it. You see it in books. You hear illustrations about it from preachers. And that is that we pit theology against loving Jesus. 
We make it sound like, oh, I don't want to get into all that debate and, and high-sounding arguing about this view or that view. You know what I want to do? I, I just want to love Jesus. You heard that? You know what I'm talking about? It, it makes it sound like to get into the things of God, to be able to talk accurately about God, is something wholly separate from just loving Jesus. Folks, can I say something? I got a lot of mean things to say today. This must be a soapbox for me. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where being stupid about the things of God is made parallel with what it means to really love Jesus. I, I don't see that anywhere. As a matter of fact, a guy walked up to Jesus one time and he said, uh, Hey, Lord, what, what's the most important command? And Jesus said, well, that's easy. You know, it's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the passion. That's the energy. That, that's the worship. That's, what we, that's the this part. That's a part of it, isn't it? We like that. Love them with your soul, your being, who you are. And love them with your mind. Love them with your mind. Why is our mind different from the rest of the animal kingdom? Why did God give us a mind that, yes, as I said a moment ago, can put a man on the moon and, and discover the cure to diseases and, and figure out engineering? Why did He give us a mind and a brain to do things beyond what the rest of the animal kingdom can do? It's so that we can plumb the depths of what He's revealed about Himself. What's it mean, what's it look like if you, sometime this week, fulfill the most important command in all the Bible to love God with your mind? What's that going to look like for you this week? Doesn't it mean that we get beyond calling something boring or irrelevant and we start to dig and plumb those depths a little bit? You see, folks, this actually is a burden for me. I do have a little bit of a soapbox here because I think that as you look across the landscape of American Christianity, we have way settled for a one plus one equals two faith. And, and if we're being really honest, we don't even have a good grasp of one plus one equals two. Because it actually makes us squirm a little bit to think that somebody might walk up to us and say, can you prove that Jesus is the Son of God from your own Bible? Uh, 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 let me call my pastor. Hey, that's what I'm here for. But you know what? God's got a command in your life that says you ought to be able to sit down and talk to your best friend. You ought to be able to sit down and talk to that family member. You know what the writer of Hebrews is addressing? A variety of things he's dealing with in this book. One of them is people who never really come to the faith. They dance all around it. They're all around it. They're close to the flame. That's actually what it says. Man, they were right up there. They were close to the flame. They were, they were close to the spirit. They were close to the things of God. But they fell away. It never took. Why do we fall away from the faith? Well, I mean, a lot of reasons, isn't there? I mean, sin, temptations, uh, a desire for the things of the world, pain, suffering, evil. And somebody comes along to us and says, you know, you need to have faith in God. Have faith in God. So, so I reach out there and I try to seize, I try to grab this God. But you know what, folks? Life has got a lot of real deep issues in it, doesn't it? 
And if all I'm ever trying to seize those deep issues with, walk through those deep issues with, is a very shallow one plus one equals two faith, I'm not going to survive, am I? It, it's, it's not going to happen. Folks, it's theology that gives us the ability to walk through those deep places. And I'm not arguing for being some kind of super smart academic Christian. I'm not arguing against it. I'm not suggesting that if you're super smart in Christianity, that means you don't, uh, you don't hurt, you don't suffer, you don't have questions. No, that, that's not going to be the case. I am suggesting that a deep faith has a greater chance of walking through this world than a shallow faith. And faith is built primarily through two ways. Walking with God through deep waters and studying God before we get to those deep waters. So I don't drown in those deep waters. You know, my goal for these next couple months is that we begin the process of maturing in Christ, of taking on these elementary issues. You notice I said it's a process. It's a process. I've, I'm good. I've got so far, I've got planned about 20 sermons. If you're at 16 or 17 of them, that doesn't mean, you know, okay, you're done. You're finished. You're mature. You can now answer all questions. No, for most of us, we're going to be hanging on just to say, Okay, I get it. But what I hope is that during the course of these studies, that a couple of these are going to grab your own attention. They're, they're going to strike a chord with you. It's a, it's a question you've always had. As a matter of fact, look with me in your bulletin. Open up there on the, on the uh, in focus. You see an article about what is. And if you go about five or six lines down, it looks like. One, two, three, four, five. The sixth line. You see a series of questions. What is theology? What is the Bible? What is God like? What is the Trinity? You read down through there. You see there's 20 questions there. Those are the 20 sermons that I have planned. Now, I've already messed that up. I worked on this back about several months ago, planning for my preaching for 2009. I planned these 20 sermons, and the more I'm studying, the more I'm realizing. I can't do this in 20 messages. You realize that every single one of these questions could be two or three sermons? Some of these could be 10 or 15 and you say, well, at the end of 10 or 15, would I get to wear one of these big fancy robes? No. <laughs> Folks, you know what? We could spend 200 sermons on these 20 questions and we would, for the most part, be dealing with just getting an opening look at it. I spent four years, eight semesters, taking theology classes on these 20 questions. And many of that was just getting the issues out there in front. So my goal was to be done with this by the end of August. Now my goal is to be done by the end of December. Probably going to be somewhere in the summer of 2010. We'll have some breaks, don't worry. Now, you know, I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, what is this going to be like? Are you really going to use a chalkboard? You know, folks, why do we want to do this? And, and I, I'm kind of getting given a motivation and maybe even summarizing some of what I've said. You know why we want to study theology? Number one, because we've been commanded to. Do we need another reason? We've been commanded to our heart and our mind for following Christ is at stake here. We've been commanded to. Number two, it will deepen our faith. Hey, suffering is deep. Pain is deep. Evil is deep. Temptation is deep. Questions about God and life and afterlife, they're deep. 
So let's deepen our faith to start taking these things on. And lastly, it will give us the ability to share our hope. Why do I want to share my hope? Because I've been commanded to. By the person I call Savior. By the person I call Lord. He told me to be able to share my hope with others. Folks, there are people out there that some that you don't love, some that you love a lot, that are being kicked in the teeth by the deep things of this world. Don't we want to be able to share the hope that we have to answer and take on some of these questions? You know, folks, I I think there's a reason the church is where it is today in America. And I really, honestly, I put the blame mostly on pastors. Because you see, we have decided that to reach you, to, to get you to come here, we've got to package God and the Bible kind of like a, uh, a Dr. Phil and a, the best self-help book there is. God is the great Dr. Phil in the sky. And this is the best self-help book there is. And we, we have reduced Christianity to being about nothing more than three steps to a better marriage, seven steps to financial success, the secret to happiness. Now, you want to know something crazy? I actually believe the Bible does give us three steps to a better marriage. I actually believe it has the seven keys to financial success. And I believe it has the secret to happiness. But you know what I found? As you begin to to unwrap, as you begin to unfold what those steps to a better marriage are, as you begin to walk through those keys to financial success, as you take on that secret to happiness, you know what? It's hard. Some of those keys and steps require us to. Well, to sacrifice ourselves, I don't want to say I'm here to be happy. Sacrifice myself. Serve others before I serve me unconditionally. Have faith and obedience when nothing around me is going to encourage that faith or obedience. See, the reason, folks, that we we get excited about the three steps to a better marriage because we want a better marriage. We want to hear some things. But you know what? Think about the sermons you've heard on that. It's pretty hard to take home and do it, isn't it? I want three steps that don't require anything. And these are hard. And you know what? You're not going to do them. You're not going to do them unless you see the greatness of the God who gave those steps. The trustworthiness of the God who gave that secret. Folks, theology is about digging a well. I'm talking about where the bucket goes all the way down to the cold, fresh water. It's about digging a well where we can pull up and see just how great that God is. And how trustworthy these keys, these steps, these points are, no matter what they require of my life. And my goal as we go through this is you learn a little bit, but maybe every now and then you you pick up one of these sermons and you say, man, I want to dig a little deeper. Every single one of these sermons, I'm going to be recommending books. I recommended several books today. I would get look at this. This is a door stopper, isn't it? When it gets to be spring and the cool breeze is flowing, you can use this to hold your door open. This is written by Tony Evans. Uh, many of you probably familiar with him, pastor in Dallas, Texas. He's written a great book, Theology You Can Count On, The Beast That This Thing Looks Like, but would you believe it? Most of the chapters are broken down to about 10 to 12 pages. 
with good study questions, good discussion questions. I'd recommend, if I was going to get one book right now, and, and just to look at all of the topics, all of the issues, this would be a good place to start. And I, I'm just hoping that maybe during the course of the next six, nine months, just one or two of these grabs your heart and mind and you begin to study a little deeper, a little further on your own. You know what? If you're alive, you're growing. If you're not growing, at best, there's something severely wrong. At worst, you're dead. Can we together take on this challenge by the writer of Hebrews to, to press on to maturity? To start growing and learning? To, to make all of those questions actually elementary in our lives? Let's, go, let's love God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind. The world, your friends, need you to love God with your mind. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry for the commitment we have to the TV commitment we have to the computer and for the lack of commitment we have to your word. Lord, our, the reason we can't answer these questions is not, is not because we're just inherently dumb. We can't answer these questions because we haven't cared to study. We haven't answered these questions because we don't, we don't like to read. Lord, help us to realize that that doesn't say very much about how much we love you. It also doesn't say very much about our love for the people around us. Who don't need a pastor in a big black robe to give them an answer. They need somebody that they know. That they consider a real person that walks alongside them in daily life. They need somebody like that to be smart for the Lord. To be able to guide them through some answers. Give them some direction. Lord, help us to realize we're not, we're not studying to win debates and to beat up unbelievers. We're studying for that individual who does want an answer, who does need help. We're studying for our own faith because, God, I don't want to get overwhelmed by the deepness of the waters. When the waters are rising, I want to be able to hold on to that anchor that holds. God, give us as individuals, give us as a church a heart and a mind and a commitment to talk accurately, deeply, profoundly about the living God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.